you are listening to the Band of Brothers podcast from Houston's First Baptist Church. This is January 17th, and it is week 14 in Men's Life Quest for Authentic Manhood, entitled Saddle Up for the Second Half. This week we're being led by our men's minister, Eric Reed. Thank you for joining us. Well, how are y'all doing today? We are officially at that, at that second half, and it's really not a half. We have 11 weeks left, and... Uh, just as, as Travis was sharing, uh, this week I went up to Dallas and uh, left at 6 a.m. on Tuesday and got back at 1.30 a.m. on Wednesday. It was sort of an all-day deal, but it was sort of a, a men's ministry gathering up there, and it was, it was really incredible because the theme of it was legacy. And as, I, as, as we were praying for, for the Coker family, uh, there was a man there that just shared, really, when his dad passed away, all he got literally was like a tackle box. And that was it. And when he got the tackle box, he, he really thought about, if I were to die right now, what would my kids have? What would I have passed down to them? What type of legacy would I bestow? And so men's life is really about, in, in a very real way, is, is being sure that the men we are would leave legacies for people down the road, whether that's a, a spouse or whether that's our, our brother or a sibling. Uh, my brother's flying in today. Uh, he's got an interview in Austin. And then he and his girlfriend are going to come over to our house for the weekend and covet your prayers for that. Uh, that was on my manhood plan last year of, of relationships that needed to be made right. We haven't been together in over two years. Um, and so it's going to be an interesting weekend at the Reed House. <clears throat> but we would definitely covet your prayers there. I have a, a short video clip from a movie that I really enjoy. It's called Adalgo, And it's sort of based on a true story. And it's just a, it's a clip that I think sort of conveys at least to me a little bit about the journey we've been on and, and hopefully where we're headed. So let's, uh, let's take a peek at that. Easy, boys. Long way to Damascus. That, that, that clip, for me at least, uh, 
last year when I started going through this material and started looking back, and for some of you, you may have had that same experiences, a lot of stuff got stirred up. And, and in fact, at some time you might have felt like, what am I doing looking back? There's a lot of, in a sense, hurt or a lot of things that are unresolved, and that stirred up a lot. And it causes sometimes almost like a, it's like in golf, if you take golf lessons, they mess with your swing but to get better, sometimes you need to get worse first. And, and so the feeling I had last year going through this first half was it stirred up stuff, and I didn't like it being stirred up. A year down the road, I look, and I'm like, I'm really glad because there are things, there's growth, and there's changing going on in my life that just as that storm settled there and Adalgo and you know, his, his owner come out, they shake off the dust, and they continue to move forward. That's my hope for y'all. Some of you, you've had great families that you've come from, and, and your experience wasn't like that, and that's, that's great. But the whole first half of men's life has been real simply about, about one thing, and that is it's been about looking within and sort of looking back. And that's, that's listed there in your, in your listening guide. And, and in doing that, we're not looking back to sit back. We're not looking back just to say, these are excuses for my life. But really, truly, the heartbeat of men's life is that we would somehow get into our lives, lift off the manhole cover over our hearts, and let God come in there, offer those things to Him so that we could then move forward. The second half about this is about vision, and it is about looking forward. And so I would say to you, you've been through, in my opinion, the hardest stuff of men's life is the past. The most exciting stuff of men's life is not the past for me. It's what lies tomorrow, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 40 years from now, the life that God would have for me and the life that He would have for you. And whether you're married or single, God has been at work and will continue to be at work in your life. And, and just the question is, will you allow Him to be the Lord of the past, the Lord of the present, and the Lord of the future? And so there is a... a verse in Proverbs, it says, without vision, men get out of control. Uh, in Hebrew, it really would say that men get unrestrained, that they go their own way, uh, that if you had a horse, the horse that wasn't bridled, sort of a wild horse, would just sort of run wild and go free. Wouldn't really accomplish work, couldn't really be ridden. But vision is the thing that God uses in our lives to bridle us up, direct our lives, to give us focus and attention. Already mentioned, Travis mentioned that the manhood plan, we're going to continue to work on the manhood plan. And last year, a ton of men put it off, put it off, put it off, put it off. And they sort of felt like, I can just jump in and in an hour be done with it. And my experience was, Christmas break hit last year, and I was like, okay, we're supposed to sort of be almost done with the first section so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to take a couple of hours, going to get my little men's life book here, going to turn to page 92, and I'm just going to write in a few of these quick answers because I, I, I know myself really well. And my wife, you know, I, I sort of put the book to the side after about 35, 40 minutes, and she's like, are you done already? I was like, uh, no. She's like, thought you were going to finish it. You know, it's like, I'm going to wait a while on this one, and, and I put that off a little bit, and I put that off a little bit. And so the leadership team, we, we decided we want to provide an opportunity for you where 
you can spend time as a table together. You have time set aside where, you know, just get permission from your spouse or, or if you're a single guy, you just get your own permission to go. But the idea is don't wait and put it off. It's not easy. Some of you it might be. I'm just telling you, most of us, it, it, it won't be simple and easy. Life isn't neat and tidy. Events have happened in all of our lives that we wish never happened, and yet God allowed them in His sovereignty for a reason, and it's not always our comfort, but it's always drawing us closer to Him, His character being forged in us that we would be the men of God in our culture today and in our society. And so, <clears throat> take advantage. Um, let me see if I can... Yeah, it's, it is 9 a.m. at the Fellowship Center. It's, if you want the breakfast, then please RSVP, because... We're, we're underwriting a large portion. You usually don't get a nice restaurant with great, you know, hey, I want this and this and this and my omelet, and we'll whip it up, and they don't charge you $5 a head. It's, it's going to be a good breakfast and a great purpose, and invest in your legacy by being there. And that's our, that's our heartbeat. I want to I review. <clears throat> if you're new here today, and I know some of you came last week or this week is your first week, this is going to be a lot of review to get you on the same page. If you've been here every week, it's going to be review to remind you of where we've been so that as we go forward, you're not going to, you're not going to be sort of out in left field and wondering, oh, I forgot sort of all the presuppositions. I forgot how we got here. And so I want to give you again today the presuppositions that we're going to operate under. And let's review them really, really quickly. And the very first one is manhood is in a state of confusion today. Manhood is in a state of confusion today. Remember we talked about if, if you were to ask men, hey, define what a man is, that you are going to get lots of different answers and you're going to get a lot of interesting looks from people. Uh, success, what success is. We went around the room, we'd have a lot of different answers to that. And so we have had a lot of voices speaking into us, but very few voices that have been calling us up to a biblical manhood. And therefore, I've spent my life hearing more about what a... American man, you know, from Hollywood should be than what a godly man should be. And sometimes there's overlap, like courage is an overlap. It's a biblical virtue. It's also in Hollywood. You see, men should be courageous. But, but what courageous is and what it looks like, Hollywood sort of relegates that to the purely physical realm where Christ spills it out into the ethical realm, that we would be courageous ethically, that we would risk our job for doing the right thing. Does that make sense? So Christ always expands, and, and society usually just puts a caricature out there. And if you buy the caricature, you'll never know the depths of what God has for you. The second deal <clears throat> is that confused men create major problems. Uh, I told you I was at this men's ministry sort of roundtable deal up in Dallas at a church, and there were church leaders from Minnesota, North Carolina, Texas, really all over, and there was a prison, four chaplains from the prison system in North Carolina were there. And we were discussing, and I said, you know, what is fueling? Because they're seeing more and more ladies entering into sort of the, the whole, you know, prison system in America. And there really, there were two lady chaplains there. And, you know, 20 years ago, there were lady chaplains, but there wasn't an equal number of ladies and men chaplains and stuff. And across the board, they were like the breakdown of the family. And I said, well, what, you know, what are you seeing there? And it was dads not being dads. Dads 
being passive or dads being absent or dads being workaholics or dads abdicating discipline or the, just the opposite of that, their discipline is rage, their discipline is abuse, their discipline is manipulation and control. And I am not arrogant enough to believe that, that if I just, oh, I'm, you know, that's not who I am and that's not how I am. I don't think men set out to be those types of men. But our society has a lot of problems right now and it's stemming from, from our gender not living up to the higher calling that God has given us. And the cool thing is it's not about bootstraps and it's not about willpower. We learned last week from Afshin, and I know one of, one of the guys in here, well, two of y'all in here I know at least really made a significant decision for Christ. And on Sunday night, a couple of men made significant decisions in Christ. And I would encourage you that Christ alone is the only way that, that we are going to be able to live that. It's called a new life. It's being born again. It's being given and filled with the Holy Spirit. And Afshin shared his testimony, and, and I mean, it was, it was great. So if you didn't, how many of y'all missed it last week? I'm not doing this like a bad guy bad, but who missed last week? A handful. It's on the podcast. I think I might have even sent the link out. Please take, you know, 40 minutes this week and listen to last week's podcast with Afshin. It's a powerful deal, and my prayer is that God would speak into your heart, give you hope and encouragement, but also that the only solution to the one thing we all struggle with is Christ and that is the depravity the brokenness and so the problems in our society are created by I think confused men and confused men settle for less that's what I sort of shared about we we take the caricature instead of sort of Christ and we live sort of dumbed down lives where raw power and immorality are seen as masculine they're really not not biblically at least. And so uh, the fourth thing in here is there's no lofty vision of manhood that is compelling today. And my, my promise to you, my hope to you, is that the next 11 weeks that you should walk out of here with a compelling vision of manhood. That in the next two weeks, you should walk out of here with a compelling definition of what a man is that is sort of across the board and timeless. That you're not going to have to change it for, for a dad that's 60 or 70 and, and a son that's 18, that it would run across the board. Every generation would, could have that same definition of what a man is. And then the, the fifth is, and, and of course we're in a church and we pray before we do this, but that the Bible has insights and answers to all of those things above. And the tragedy is that, that we're holding in our hands with Scripture you know, 66 different books compiled over thousands of years from men and women that often sacrifice greatly to bring that to us, led and inspired by God. And in America, the average person in America has, I think it's four Bibles. Other countries of the world, people are dying just to get them. But we get them, and guess where we leave them? We leave them on the bookshelf. We really do. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not speaking judgment out here. I'm just saying... We're not, if we're looking anywhere other than Christ and His Word for solutions to what ails us, I think we're probably short-sighted. And we may find a self-help book, and we may have our best life now, but, but in reality we're missing the heartbeat of our Maker. And I always tell my kids this, they're like, you know, they, they ask me why I read like 
the, the, the owner's manuals and stuff. And I've been real deliberate that when we get something new, I, I want them to see me read the owner's manual. I haven't always read the owner's manual. And I've often ruined electronic devices because I didn't go through the right sequencing of, of putting the software on the, on the device first. And in fact, I fried a, a, a device the other day. I put the wrong adapter to it, just thinking any adapter would work. And it was an old Palm Pilot that I had trying to get something to use. I just got a new one yesterday, but it totally fried it. It started glowing and it got really hot in about five minutes. And I looked and it was getting like eight volts is what the adapter was. And I was like, oh man, I know that doesn't need eight volts. It probably needs like three volts going into it to charge it. So I totally destroyed an old one that I had because I didn't read the manual. Well, the manual for our life is scripture that our creator and designer knows us best and he knows how life best operates, and he knows how marriage best works, family best works, career best works, how friendship best works. And we need to go to him and say, man, show me, teach me, mold me, make me. And so in this, there's a promise given to us in Psalm 1. It said, how blessed is the man who delights in the Word of God, he will be like a tree firmly planted whose leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. And the prosper there, I believe, is the blessing of life. The prospering isn't, wow, my 401k is busting at the seams. You look at Scripture and today there's a movement within, you know, American churches and it's, it's really vast. I mean, it's unbelievable how it's permeated. Even our church, I'll hear people use the rhetoric of, if I obey God, He will bless me financially, or He will do X, Y, or Z in my life. And I'm like, maybe and maybe not. And if you don't get blessed, let's just say you're really obedient to God and you're nailed on a cross. Let's just say that might happen, ironically. You know, what does that mean? Does that mean that God isn't real or God isn't loving or God isn't gracious that all of the disciples except for one died brutal deaths that Christ said that hey if they persecute me you're probably going to get hammered and out of that don't be surprised be ready and and we as men need courage in our hearts because I believe in the days we live, we probably will see a shift toward persecution in our country, which we've never seen. And we need to be men that are ready for that. We truly do. And if we're men that live by the Word of God, I believe we'll prosper and flourish in the midst of a desert. And if you go to the Holy Land, my wife has been, I have not been, but she brought back lots of photos. And it is amazing to see by the rivers to see the lush and the green, and then to see five miles away, desolate, dusty. And it's really, to me, it's a metaphor for my life that when I do submit myself by the river of God's Word, there's a transformation that takes place. And when I uproot myself and move myself away, there's a decay that takes place. And that we're all in the process of either flourishing or decaying based off of the Word of God in our life. And so my challenge to all of us and to myself is that this year, 2008, we have opportunities to be those men. And men's life, I believe, will give us some of that. Some promises that were made, and some of them have been fulfilled already in some of the lives here. And some of them, I know, haven't been fulfilled yet. And I want to go through those because I, I think they're bold promises. And the first is 
we'll have a clear definition of manhood. And I'll just say, I think in a couple of weeks, that will be fulfilled for all of us. Whether or not you agree with it, that's a different story. But you'll be presented with one, and I think it's biblical. I think it's great, and it will be one that you can share with other men. Number two, you'll make some significant personal discoveries about yourself. And not to embarrass anyone, we're not going to have Confession Time 101 here, but if so far you've learned one thing about yourself through the first 13 weeks of the Quest for Authentic Manhood, I'd like you to put your hand up. If you've learned something about yourself, I want you to put your hand up. And that, that's huge right there, that, that that promise is going to be delivered again and again and again and again. And discovering something and finding healing and redemption on that side are different things entirely, but it's a, it's a process that God will have us on of unmasking our heart and then what do we do with that. And we're going to look at two paths we can go on in just a minute. The third deal is you will make new friends. And, and to be honest with you, the table time, and this Saturday is another one of those opportunities, just spend some time together. Uh, men's life was never meant to be sort of bottled up and left as a Thursday morning or a Sunday evening thing. It was really meant to say, incorporate it into the fabric of your life and in the ways that you walk, talk about these things with your brother at this table. Call each other. Encourage vulnerability and transparency because that is not the DNA of almost anyone here that I know of. And I would say probably 80% of men, you know, we're... How are you doing? I'm fine. There's probably 20%, maybe it's less than that, I don't know, that will actually share what's going on deeply with them, and they're sort of intuitive, and, and, and historically our society would sort of put that thing down and say, well, uh, that's a real man, uh, you don't, you know, you've got to put your, 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 you know, your jaw and set your jaw straight ahead, and don't show weakness, not in your job, not anywhere, because guess what? You'll get taken advantage of, you won't get the promotion, you may get fired, you're indecisive, you're... And so we, we have that tension that we walk in as men of saying, I need a real brother in Christ. And yet, everything I've been raised to do is hide my heart from other men and hide my heart in society. And it's hard to do that. This is probably the safest and best place to do that, being together for 13 weeks. Why is it important that you come every week or that you let someone know if you're not here and I would say because it's honoring the men that are at your table. It's saying to them, I value you. I value our time. I make a priority of being here. Does that make sense? And so I just encourage you toward your faithfulness that men's life isn't just about you. It's also about the men at the table. And it's not just about the men at the table because each of us probably represent 40 potential other lives that, that will trickle out of our lives in the next 30 to 50 years, whether it's our own children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, or it's the co-workers we work with and their children and their children's children. But we are impact agents for God here, and so this time truly matters. Fourth deal is we'll learn a new language about manhood, and, uh, and Travis is faithful to greet us with grunts and mm, ah, eh. but, but we have heard words like unpacking, you know, and I'm like, historically for me, unpacking was, you know, what I did when I arrived at a hotel or at a cabin or at a retreat center. And it wasn't really saying, okay, God, you bring a spotlight into my life and you look into this area of my life. 
so that I can understand why I am the way I am so that I could also experience your transformation. So we've learned some new language in that. We'll learn some more as we get into the definition and the vision. And then fifth is you will have a personalized plan for achieving authentic manhood. And real men have a plan. I mean, that's it. Real men have plans. Life is going to always happen around us. And we will either be shaped by it or we will shape life. We will either, in a sense, assert ourselves with the vision that God has given us and make our family something God-honoring, or we will have the average American home with the average American marriage, with the average American job, and the average American friend. And I don't think any of that is going to bring the fruit that we read about in the book of Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, the peace that passes understanding, the joy that becomes the strength of our souls, that it will be hollow. And, uh, and so in that, I just want to encourage you all to please finish it. On the unpacking side, there are four wounds we looked at already. We looked at the absent father wound, and, and we really looked at that was either a dad that really truly physically was never there or emotionally was so wrapped up in work and his own addiction or his own hurt that he never could give anything to us. And so, you know, out of that flowed a lot of things from, you know, workaholism to alcoholism to sexual addiction to just sheer anger. And in my life, anger and and sexual addiction were sort of those two elements that my life sort of gravitated toward as I was dealing with a dad that was a good man that worked really hard and therefore never went to my wrestling matches and my cross-country meets and never really spoke blessing into my life. And now I praise God because every time we talk, he's given me a different blessing. And it started last year when we were going through this, and I, and I, I said you'd have a manhood plan. Working on your manhood plan is, is good working the manhood plan is great, and there's a difference. One is drawing up the plan. The other is stepping it out and walking it out. Does that make sense? And so when I called my dad last year to say, hey, I've never heard you say, boonk. And then to hear him, and then he's continued to affirm some of those things in my life. It's like it picks me up, man. It gives me strength. He can say something into my life that no one else can say, not even my wife. And now she has things she says into my life that picks me up also. But it's important, and you'll miss it if, if you don't follow through. Uh, the overly bonded with mother wound. And, and remember, we said this wasn't because our moms were evil. It was because they loved us so much that they wanted the best for us. And, and that that led to either a really passive male. I'll just stay at home. My wife can work really hard. I'll just, yeah, it's like we can... We can get really passive, or the really aggressive male that leans into using women, taking advantage of women, the, sort of the sexual conquest, the hardcore pornography, those types of things that men get drawn into out of this idea of an absent dad and overly bonded with mom. The third thing was the all-alone wound. We talked about the average American male is pretty friendless. On the level. We have activity partners but we don't have someone that's a sole partner in our life. And that, yes, our wives and spouses can be that, but at the depth of it, we need a man that could actually toe-to-toe with us and tell us how it is and challenge us. And so we looked at that, and 
and then the fourth was the heart wound. That the first three are about our nature. Uh, the first three are about our nurture, how we were raised, and they were bestowed into our lives. The fourth one, remember, we all have it, and it's not about our nurture. It is about our nature. And, and historically, Christianity has called that depravity. We call it the heart wound. And so remember that we're all born with that heart wound. That at the end of the day, it's not that we're serial killers, pedophiles, and, and you know, we, we, we put that and we relegate that to some different realm. But what depravity is, is that if given the chance, I'll choose to please myself before God. So it could be a little thing. It could be a small deduction on my taxes that gives me back money. It's a little thing. It's still depravity. It's covering up instead of confessing with Christ. And, and that depravity can start off as a small thing and over time gets bigger and bigger and bigger like a crack on your windshield where you hear the rock hit and there's a chip and that was when we came into the world. And as we go through the bumps of life, it starts to split across. And all of a sudden, our view is distorted of the road ahead because there's little cracks everywhere. What we really need is when that chip is there, we need Christ not just to put some epoxy in it and fix it. We need a new windshield totally put in. And that's what He promises to us. And so, in these areas... Those are sort of the wounds, and there's two paths we can go on. I want to hit them very quickly, and the choice is up to us. And then the first is, is you can harden in your woundedness. You can harden in your woundedness. I want to go through the steps here on your, uh, and I'm having to borrow Travis's book because mine is sitting on my desk at home. I want to go through these very quickly. Every man begins life without God. His nature is selfish and self-centered. We sort of already hit this. And I would have you put a T or an F beside that statement right there. Do you really believe that or not believe that? Because how you answer that is going to determine, I think, the outcome of all the rest of these principles and all the rest of this journey here. Do you think it's true or not? Part two is, as a son, every man suffers hurt. It could be small, just little things, or it could be really deeply large. If you all remember uh, Pastor Greg, as he was going through this, he talked about James Tomey, the uh, professional boxer. Do you guys remember that story? And he said, when I'm in the ring, it's personal. It's about my dad. I want to take him out, that I've been training my whole life for the day I meet him next, and I'm going to take him out. And that's fueled his whole boxing career. I'm like, dude, that is... How much hurt is bottled up inside of that man? And I'm not disparaging him at all. There by the grace of God goes any of us. But that this, we experience these hurts in there. Three, as a, as a young man, he constructs his manhood from these selfish and wounded perspectives. Often he uses his woundedness as energy to fuel and excuse his own excessive or evil behaviors. It's never about us. It's my boss. It's, well, I'm, I'm angry because my wife doesn't understand me. It's the traffic. 
By the time I get home, I've been sitting in traffic, and it's, I'm just frustrated, and so that's why I yell at my kids when I get home. It's the traffic's fault, right? It's the traffic. I'm like, you know what? You could probably move way, 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 way out and sort of work out of your home, and you're going to find when I worked out of my home, I found that the same volatility I had when I commuted was still there in our home, and it, was, it wasn't about traffic, and it wasn't about commute times. It was about the fact that I had some anger in my heart, and I've had it there for a long, long time. And so for us, we use this to fuel excessive behaviors and evil behaviors. As a man, he is driven by these forces. He doesn't understand and refuses to examine. Circumstances and others are blamed for his problems and failures, and this approach to life creates pain. And the last part of that is so true, not just for himself, but for those around him. And, uh, and single guys, if you're single, I want you to look up here. If you do not address your woundedness now, if you don't let God into that, I'm telling you, I believe that when I, I met the right lady and we got married, that I wouldn't deal with areas of lust. I wouldn't deal anymore with pornography. I wouldn't deal with the senses of of anger or an adequacy that I sort of felt I brought with me. Deal with it now because you will hurt your wife early in your marriage and if she doesn't walk uprightly with God, she'll get out of there. And I'm just sharing that with you because I've seen it played out in our church among couples. I'm also the marriage minister guy here, the married young adult minister. And I've got a man we still meet together. We used to meet every week and now we meet about once a month. And, and his story is his wife was very disappointed. Who he looked like before they got married and in their engagement and who he was weren't the same men. And he had anger and he had some addictions, online addictions, gambling addiction, nothing that any of us would witness or see. He had it. They got married in about two years of that and she got out. And she called me up and told me, and I said, you know what, why don't you just get get a separation, and tell him these are the things that he needs to deal with before you come back into that house. She said, no, I'm done. And I, she's in sin, brought about by her husband. Okay? Does that make sense? We, don't wait. If you're a single man, you're going to hear stuff about being a husband. You're going to hear stuff about being a father. And I'm just challenging you, just like Greg said the other day, from the pulpit. He went to promise keepers probably 10 times before he was ever married, you know? It, it's okay for us to look into these things and to find change now. Don't wait for that. Wealthy men often seek to buy their way out of their pain, and that's very true. I mean, there's, there's a lot of happiness that money can bring on the short term, and excitement and new cars, and my brother's getting ready to take his girlfriend to, on a safari. I mean, they, they travel. He gets to do incredible stuff. And that's, his, that's one of his tonics, is, is the adventure trips and other things like that. that just, it keeps him going, fixed to fixed to fixed to fixed. At the end of the night, it settles back down, and there's that mm, this dissatisfaction that goes on. Other men seek to escape their pain with drugs, alcohol, pornography, TV, affairs, sports. Both continue to refuse to admit the truth about themselves. And so in time, selfish and wounded manhood hardens. 
As a man grows old, life becomes small. It's just about me. Empty, mundane, bitter, and reckless. And that's why Henry David Thoreau wrote, and here's a, a quote from him. He wrote that the mass of men live lives of quiet desperation. The police on their uh, last album, their final album they released, had a song, and it was talking about sort of the, the businessmen that got shoved into cars like little sardines, and they sort of go through their days, and they paralleled it with the idea of this anger that's sitting down deep inside of the modern man with the Loch Ness Monster that raises up from time to time, and that, that stuff bubbles up in our lives and comes out of our lives, and it will destroy us. They're not theologically always on target, but they hit the experience of manhood. At least in the UK back then and in America today, they hit it squared up on the song. I want to give you another way, though, because these stages that people go through of being hardened, there's another path. And there are times that men have aha moments, and there's times that things really get connected for men. And I need to speed up here a little bit. But it's a, it's a sacred moment when men have a time to turn around, and it is when men are delivered from their woundedness. <clears throat> that men are delivered from their woundedness. And these, these stages can be changed incredibly. And, and so let's look at how these stages can be changed. The first is a man discovers the truth about himself. And I sort of hope the first half of men's life has really been about self-discovery and about truth, uh, where you're hurt, where you're not hurt, what's gone well, what's not gone well in your life. And that, that discovery has happened, that, that someone could be able to say, you know what, I am selfish. You know what, I, I am addicted. You know what, I have an anger problem. That doesn't fix anything. But that's that step you take on that road to redemption, reconciliation, or if, if you've been in even a 12-step program, I think it's the first step of a 12-step program of addiction. Getting over addiction is, is the acknowledgement of that. I, I haven't been through that, but I think that's probably the first step. And so the uh, second step is to recognize this is selfish, godless nature. The third is accepts responsibility for his life and problems. And in these, as, as these go through here, just ask yourself, where am I on this journey? Am I on this page over here about hardening? Or am I going through these steps? Because these steps can be entered into at any time. You don't have to go through every stage on the, on the left here and then, well, good, I've gotten to stage six, I'm hardened, and now I can come up here and start there. I'm like, please don't. I mean, the tragedy is to be, you know, 80 years old and just realize I've missed the boat my whole life. And that's not as tragic as someone that never even realized they missed the boat, right? Man, we're young. We don't need to miss the boat. You know, the, it's, it's rolling. Your character's already formed and being formed. Your masculinity is shaped and being shaped. You've made choices already and you're going to make more to come. And the simplest choice here is to choose to move over into this turnaround. And so you stop blaming others. It's not your wife, it's not your boss, it's not your parents. It's not society. 
It's not a political party or a president or a war or the war that you fought in or the war that you didn't fight in. It's not any of that. We don't blame. We accept the responsibility. We grieve over our losses in life and our poor choices. And for some of you, you are emotional. And when I say grieve, your grieving will be like my grieving was. And, and when I started grieving through some of this, you know, I had snot coming out my nose. I couldn't see. It. And some of you, you're not emotional like that. And that's totally that's how God's made you. And so for you, your grieving is just that sadness in your heart. And you're like, man, I wish I had not done that. I wish I hadn't lost five years of my life like that. And you're sort of heavy. And for you, that's your grieving. I'm not telling you what you have to do, but, but at some point you've got to go through that process of, of recognizing it, accepting it, forgetting about blaming others and grieving it. And then, and this is what Afshin talked about last week, turning to faith in Jesus Christ for help. And that is the moment of discovery. That is the Copernican revolution when you realize life is not revolving as the universe once thought around the earth, but that we're actually heliocentric and we're revolving around the sun and that that revolution changed the way we understood the planet's orbits. It changed the way we understood our role in the world around us. It humbled mankind and the humility Christ's promise, if you humble yourself, what will He do? I will lift you up, as Christ told the Pharisees. Hey, I didn't come for the well. You have no need of a physician. I came for the sick. And I'm like, buddy, I'm sick. <laughs> I'm sick. Come for me. I'm not well. I want to be humbled. I'll declare myself unrighteous. You make me righteous. And Afshin shared that last week. I want to share a story from Scripture. We're just going to read it through. You all know the story, and, and we can read Scripture with lots of lenses. I want you to put on the lenses of manhood because I think it's a story of every man. It's a story of a father and two sons. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, young son has just done one thing. His father gave him a vision of what it means to be a man and what his life is to be about, and he has just rejected the vision of manhood that he was given, right? He said, I don't want it. I'm going to get my stuff, and I'm going to go because I know best. And so he heads out. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. He knows more than his dad. He leaves. He goes. And he's sown, and now he's reaping part of that broken relationship with his father, part of the rejection of his father's vision for his life. Now, I'm going to put this on that... God in every man plane right now. There's lots of levels to this, but I'm going to say God has a plan for your life and God has a vision for you as a man and that most of us walk away from that either in ignorance or in direct rebellion against Him early in life and we live our life 
of quiet desperation and we're just like this son. And so, and, as he, and he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods the swine were eating and no one was giving anything to him. And I love this, but when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. It's his moment of clarity. He's come to his senses. He has been, in a sense, awakened to the state that he's in. And that's grace. If you think, well, God's never been gracious to me, if you've ever known that about yourself, that's grace. That's grace. And so I will get up and go to my Father, will say to Him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in Your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called Your Son. Make me as one of Your hired men. He's assuming His Father's reaction here. <laughs> He's assuming it. My dad will see me and he'll make me a servant. And I'll be his servant forever. But that's a heck of a lot better than being where I am right now. A lot of men have settled for less than life. And a lot of men think the best my life could ever be because of where I've been and what I've done is X, it's Y, and it's Z. And I want you to see the heart of God right here. It's a beautiful picture. And he got up and he came to his father but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His father hadn't turned his back on his son. His father hadn't lost hope on his son. His father hadn't decided, ah, I've got a good son here already with me. To hell with the other guy. I don't care about him at all. He didn't live that life. That's not our father in heaven. And so his father saw him. He felt compassion for him. He ran and embraced him and kissed him. And yes, that would freak us all out if that happened to us, a, a grown man running to us, embracing us and kissing us. I want you to understand the blessing that just happened there. Because when you're blessed, you're touched. When you're blessed, words are spoken in you. When you're blessed, things are given to you. And he, and he sits there, he kisses him, and the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf, kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. There, hopefully in all of our lives, has come the time that we have had that aha moment that calling back to God. But if you haven't, understand where you've been has not discredited you in the eyes of God. He still can pick up, bring blessing, and launch you out, okay? If you've blown it with a son and your son has grown and you're disconnected from that son, God can redeem and restore. If you had a marriage and you're like, hey man, that marriage is over. My wife filed divorce or I filed divorce or I had an affair and it's God can still redeem our past and where we've been. And if we don't believe that, we might as well not even meet. Because that's why Christ came. He's the Redeemer. Okay? And so, in, in where we've been here, this is the story of manhood. It's a father that's running to his son. And so today, I want to hit this idea of, of the man he's born again. We're just going to fill in the blanks here. We know the verses. This is a major turnaround. He's born again. 
Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. If you find yourself getting pulled backwards, hey, hang on this verse. Speak this verse. We all have addictions from our past that we want to run back to when times are tough. This verse declares we are free and we are new. He pursues a new life with Christ, a life of hope, health, and happiness. We're not talking prosperity gospel at all. We're talking soul stuff, deep abiding stuff. And concluding observations, if you can write these down, there's not a spot for this. But we've already said, rather than numbing out our wounds, with all the other stuff, or being angry about it, the new man in Christ unpacks them. He unpacks them. He embraces the hurts. He feels them and deals with them in appropriate ways. Number two, rather than blaming others for his life, the new man in Christ accepts personal responsibility for it. So he accepts responsibility And then number three, because I'm going to have to click the page here. Rather than ignoring the masculinity of Jesus Christ, the new man in Christ becomes eager to pursue it. And as he does, a new manhood emerges. There are two words that Christ gave his followers that I think are the same words he gives us today, and that is, follow me. Two simple words. It's a journey. It's a lifelong journey. Follow me. Discipleship. And so my prayer and my hope for us as men here is that we will choose not to be hardened in our woundedness, but we'll choose the transformation side of it. Um, there are some questions, obviously, in the back of the, uh, the book here. And so I want, us to, I want to pray and dismiss you to, uh, to your time. And Travis, I'll give you a book back. Um, Father God, we love you and we thank you. And Lord, we know that that you have not left us alone in life. And Father, there are times events happen and, and God, they hurt us. And, uh, and we, uh, is that me? I'm sorry. It's, okay, I hear, keep hearing a beeping. But that's, that's cool. Um, Father, there are times that, uh, that there is a, a hurt in our hearts. And Father, I know that I historically have held on to that and that has fueled me in sports and that's fueled me to want to prove people wrong, that what they said about me or what they did to me was wrong and that I'll be better than them. And uh, Father God, I know that you have shown me a better way, and uh, God, it's the way of, of reconciliation. And Father, I pray that you would lead us all on that path, that we would emerge as new men in you. God, bless the time at the tables. Help us to connect deeply with one another, but also to challenge one another. Uh, we love you. We thank you for your word, that your word is truth. We thank you for your son Christ, the sacrifice that gives us new life. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.